Well, good afternoon. Good to see each and every one of you here today. It's lovely to be able to drive to the Lord's house uh, and be able to enjoy the Lord's creation as we come here. And it's good to see each and every one of you. And we trust that we will be blessed as we worship the Lord today in his holiness. I'm going to read a few verses as we open from the book of Ephesians and the chapter 3 and verse 13. And these are the words we find there. It says, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And these are lovely words, these two verses, verse 20 and 21 of Ephesians chapter 3. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Unto him be glory in all the church. By Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. We're going to sing together our opening hymn today. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. O my soul, praise him, for he is thy health and salvation. This is a lovely piece. We'll stand to sing together after the introduction as we worship the Lord today.
I wanted another verse too, Gwen. <laughs> but that was good singing and wonderful, wonderful words to enjoy together. We have such a wonderful God to praise. And in a weekend when our country is coronated a new king, how good it is to come on a Sunday to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, to affirm him as our king and to worship him. And I trust that as we come to this place today that you have prepared your heart and that we will worship him in spirit and in truth as he would have it. That we wouldn't be here to just give him lip service, but that we would be here to worship him from the bottom of our hearts. Let's come before the Lord. Uh, let's pray. Let's ask for his blessing upon us. You pray for yourself. You pray that the Lord will speak to you today. Uh, you pray that as you come to this place and as we open God's word, that he will have his way with you in your life. And you tell the Lord that. And you take these moments just to ask the Lord to meet with you. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Our Father, we bow humbly and reverently in thy most holy presence today, realizing that we come before the great God who has created this universe the one who has spoke all things into existence, uh, the one who sustains this universe by his power, uh, the one who has created the vast regions of space, the one who has created the beautiful countryside, uh, the one who has created the mountains which we can enjoy, the one who controls the boundaries of the sea. Father, we come before you realizing our unworthiness, realizing, O oh God, that you're the great God and greatly to be praised. And we come humbly, yet we thank you, Father, that in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are welcomed into the throne room of heaven and we can come with boldness. And Father, we can come to you today and when we come to worship and adore and praise your holy name. For Father, as we have read already in scripture today, uh, that you are the God who is, is, should all glory and honor and praise should be attributed to. And so Father, in this local church fellowship today, we pray that in this place that your name will be lifted very high, that we would be very careful as we approach thee today, that we would realize that we must be still and know that you are God. Father, we realize that there are those who will gather in this place today and the week that has gone by hasn't been the easiest. We realize that there are those who will be sitting here today and, Father, they carry their burdens in. And, Father, there are concerns and there are worries and there are troubles in their lives. And Father, we pray that indeed in these moments, in these times when we meet together, that they would rest in your presence, that Father, you would be pleased to minister to each of our hearts today. We want to remember those who would love to be found in this place today, but are unable to be here due to many different reasons. And Father, we pray for them. We pray that you would meet with them today. We pray that they would know that your people are remembering them in prayer. And that, Father, they would know a very near sense of your presence just now. Uh, Father, we just pray that indeed 
in these days that you would be with them. And Father, we pray that they would be encouraged, many as they listen in to the online ministry. Uh, Father, we pray that as we gather here today and as we open your word, uh, we claim the promises of your word. We thank you that thy word is truth. There is no better book that we could come to for counsel today. Uh, It is our guide for within this book, the Bible found in front of us. We find the very words of our God. And therefore, Father, we're pleased to open it in this place today and to hear from thee. And to that end, Father, we pray that indeed that you would mark me out, that, Father, you would fill me afresh with your spirit, that indeed you would take control of my tongue. And that, Father, anything that you wouldn't have me to say, that you would prevent me from saying it. And, Father, that indeed you would be pleased by your voice to minister in this place because this congregation doesn't need to hear a mere man's voice. We need to hear from thee. So, Father, we ask that you would be pleased to minister in this place. We pray for David, who will come in a few moments' time to share with our boys and girls. We thank you, Father, for our boys and girls. We thank you, Father, for the Sunday school that has happened already in this place today. We thank you that your precious word has already been taught to our young people. And, Father, we pray for them. And these days, we ask that you would bless them. We ask that you would draw very near to them. And for those who belong to you, that you would keep them close. And Father, if there's any of our young people who don't know Christ as Saviour as yet, oh God, we pray that you would move in a mighty way, in a special way. And that, Father, you would save precious souls. Father, we just pray that in this place today, we will know your help. You will minister to each one. And Father, we pray this for your glory. Father, we thank you uh, indeed uh, that we come before the King of Kings and we remember uh, that this weekend being a special weekend in our country as a new king is coronated. Father, we pray for our King's salvation. We pray, Father, that you will move within the royal family by your Spirit and that, Father, indeed you would convict of sin and that, Father, you would save souls. For, Father, so often we sing, God save the King. But, Father, we pray that you would save him with your salvation, that you would move and that he would place his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Saviour of sinners and the only one who can guarantee an eternity with you. So, Father, we pray that you would bless us today. We pray for our land. We pray that you would sweep across it this day where the gospel is faithfully proclaimed across our land today, we pray that you would be pleased to move and that you would be pleased to save. Father, hear our prayer. And we ask this in the precious name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, let me just take a moment to give the necessary announcements for the incoming week. Uh, Let me welcome each of you here today. Let me also welcome those who listen in online. Uh, We received a really lovely email in our church uh, account this week and from someone who listens from America. And we really do appreciate all who listen in online. And we trust the Lord will bless you as you listen in to our services this day. Uh, If you're saved and walking in fellowship, we invite you to remain behind after this part of our service to meet around the Lord's table and to remember the Lord in the way that he has appointed. Don't forget that this evening at 6pm, if you would like to be involved in our holiday Bible club in the summer, 
and uh, there'll be a planning meeting, the first of those. And if you're interested, why not come and meet with David and Amy, who have began the planning, and they'll tell you a wee bit about the theme and all that they're planning for this year. So 6 p.m. this evening, if you're free and able to get down. If you're unable to get down, David and Amy just ask that you would let them know that you would like to be involved, and they'll get keep you up to date. Uh, don't forget our evening prayer meeting then at 6.40 p.m., and then our gospel service this evening at 7 p.m. That takes us round to Wednesday when the Little Ones Talks group will meet at 10 a.m. And then our Bible study and prayer meeting at 8 p.m. when we'll continue our studies in the tabernacle. And this week we'll turn our thoughts to the table of showbread. Don't forget the special meeting this week on Friday evening with Pastor Ian Wilson who will be along and he'll be speaking on the topic of Israel and make sure you come along and you enjoy that particular evening. Next Lord's Day, 10.30am, Sunday School and Bible Class, at 12 noon our family service and breaking of bread, 7pm our gospel service, God willing, a young friend of mine, Jay McKee, will be along to share his testimony next Lord's Day evening. Jay was saved in East Belfast uh, through the Sunday School in Iron Hall, a young boy who was in P6 when he was saved. And his walk with the Lord and to have watched him grow with the Lord has been absolutely amazing for me. He's a young friend of mine, and I'm really looking forward to him coming and sharing what the Lord has done for him in his life next Lord's Day evening. That's not to be missed, so make sure you're there to hear Jay's testimony. Then the Youth Fellowship next Lord's Day will meet at 8.15pm after the Gospel service. God willing, we're going to be taking up a, a very interesting topic uh, it's what we're looking at the Christian and alcohol is what we're going to be thinking about at your fellowship next uh, Sunday evening. So make sure, young people, you're there on that particular occasion. God willing, our AGM will be held on Wednesday the 24th of May. And we ask that all members, please put this date in your diary and plan on attending. The amazing journey, and um, God willing, will be in the schools for three days of being confirmed. And we're going to leave it at that. Uh, James suggested that maybe doing five days we might kill ourselves this year, being a lot of work. So we're going to go into three schools who have agreed and uh, for us to come in. On Monday the 5th of June, we're going to be in Carnini Primary. On Tuesday the 6th of June, we're going to be in Grogan Primary. And then on Wednesday the 7th of June, we're going to be in Port Glenone Primary School with the amazing journey. And what we need you to do, and what I need you to do, if you're free on those particular days and able to come along, or even if you're able to come to one, there'll be three sign-up sheets at the door. If you're able to come to all three, please write your name on all three sheets. But if you write your name on the days that you're able to come along, don't worry, not everyone will be asked to dress up and be a Bible character. There's many, many different rules, so don't be shy. There's many different things that need done. And we would love you to come along and join us in the schools If anything, it's an amazing experience to see the boys and girls listening to the gospel and their eyes lighting up as they see the different characters coming round the corner. It should be a wonderful experience. God willing, this will give us opportunities afterwards to go around the doors. Each child will get a pack and they'll be able to request a Bible. And uh, they'll be able, and if they request a Bible, we as a church fellowship will go and knock those children's doors and we will present them with that Bible. And what a privilege that is. And we're so pleased that the Lord has already provided uh, for the cost of these Bibles. Uh, and we're looking forward to being in the schools. And it'll be an opportunity to invite these boys and girls as well to our holiday Bible club. And then hopefully from our holiday Bible club, 
that will feed into our winter work in the Lord's will in September when Sunday School Joy Club and all these things get up and running again. So do pray to that end, that as we go into the schools, uh, that the Lord will bless us and give us lots of opportunities to share the gospel in many, many different ways. I'm delighted to say that we've had a request for baptism. And if you feel exercised in this way, we would ask you to speak to myself or Bill and um, we will meet with you and um, we'll speak with you and God willing in the next month or so we'll have a baptismal service here at Grange Baptist so we're very excited about that I am delighted about that and what a blessing as a fellowship to know that we have folks who are wanting to go through the waters of baptism and obey the Lord's command to do so so do be praying to that end and if you feel exercised in the same way why not have a chat with me and we'd be pleased to talk with you. Don't forget Children's Day with Stephen Spence on Sunday the 4th of June. The children have a programme that they have arranged, and we're looking forward to that, and make sure you're along that particular morning to enjoy that programme and to hear Stephen Spence speaking to us as well. All of these announcements, of course, are made subject to the will of the Lord. Well, it's always good to have the boys and girls on a Sunday morning, and David Johnson is going to come, and he's going to share with you just now. Uh, good morning, boys and girls. How are we all doing today? Yes, good. I heard one good, so that's good enough for me. Um, so I wonder how many of you were sitting around watching TV yesterday? The pastor's already talked about this very slightly, but yes, was there anything, was there anything on TV yesterday? Any historical events happening? The football, the pastor says. <laughs> Very historical indeed. No. Yes, Dan. The King's Coronation. Yes, indeed. Hooray, there we go. There we go. There's the King and now Queen uh, standing up there. So, um, yes, what I'm talking about is the coronation of King Charles, of course. Uh, and we haven't seen a coronation um for 70 years last time there was coronation. I don't think anyone was around at that stage. I think we're all fairly young in here, so um, so you would only have seen it in black and white photos. Um, as I was watching yesterday, um, I had to think about all the different things that were happening. And there's lots of people um, running about. They had to be at certain places at certain times, and they had to say certain things. And there was a lot of objects um, involved, uh, a lot of objects that had... Um, some sort of symbolism um, for um, meaning to them. Um, and as I'd never seen a coronation before, um, I wanted to do some research about um, the sort of the things I was seeing and the things that were going to be part of the, the ceremony. Uh, and I was happy to find out um, that a lot of the objects that were involved um, had some sort of connection to either God, the church, or Christianity. Um, so I'm going to um, share some thoughts on some of the things that um, that were part of the ceremony. This is the first thing that I want to talk about. Does anyone know what this is actually called? I have a wee hand down at the back. Yeah? Yep, that's that. 
This is the sovereign scepter with cross. It's part of, um, there were two scepters um, as part of the ceremony. Uh, so this is the scepter with cross. It's um, 92 centimetres long, very specific. Um, but um, have you ever seen a guitar? It's just slightly shorter than a, the size of a, a regular guitar like we have um, that Dave was using there um, for our music. Um, and it's uh, enamelled, it's gold, uh, it's got a lot of jewels. And right at the very, near the top, it's got the Star of Africa, the Kulanan One Diamond. Um, and that's one of the most expensive diamonds in the world, £345 million pounds. But even more importantly than that, just above it, it, the very top of the scepter is a cross. So, um, the scepter is placed into the was placed into the king's uh, left hand. Um, on his left hand, he was wearing a glove. And when they received the scepter, the archbishop said to him these words: "Receive the rod of equity and mercy. Be so merciful that you be not too remiss." So execute justice that you forget not mercy, punish the wicked, protect and cherish the just, and lead your people in the way wherein they should go. So this piece is said to represent uh, kingly power and justice, and the glove uh, that he was wearing, that was to remind the king to be gentle when using the power and the justice given to him. And this reminded me of God's sovereign power, uh, the power that he has over all creation and his total power uh, and authority. And God always acts with justice. Um, it's his natural, natural expression of his holiness. And the Bible says that God hates sin and that we have all sinned uh, and that the punishment for sin is death and that everyone is declared guilty by sin, by God's justice. However, God had a better plan for us. He loved us so much that he sent his own son to die on a cross. Uh, just, like the top, uh, just like the cross at the top of the scepter. Jesus lived a perfect life. Uh, he was completely undeserving of the punishment he received. But he took that punishment that was due for us from God's justice. Jesus, said the penalty for, uh, Jesus paid the penalty for every wrong thing that we have ever done or ever will do just as the, the pastor normally likes to put it um, that sin is the things that we think, say and do you got that right yes? perfect, wonderful I was, I was paying attention at least um, um, but because of Jesus' um, suffering uh, God's justice was satisfied and anyone who trusts in Jesus is set free from having to pay the penalty for that sin the second piece that I want to talk to you about is this. Does anyone know what this one's called? Dan. Yes, this is the Sovereign's Orb. Um, so this is part of the Crown Jewels, and it's made out of a hollow globe, gold globe, uh, and a band of precious gems and pearls around it. And on the top, as you can see, is another cross. Uh, and when I was doing my research into this, um, I found out that um, the orb... Uh, itself, it weighs 1.32 uh, kilograms, very specific weight. I had to look up, I had to Google and see what that sort of equated to so everyone can figure it out. 
uh, and I found that it's the size of one and a half pineapples. And I know that the pineapple is a standard unit of measurement, so everyone will be able to understand when I say it's one and a half pineapples in weight. So the orb was passed into King Charles um, into his right hand after he received his robes, and then the archbishop said these words. Receive this orb set under the cross, and remember that the whole world is subject to the power and empire of Christ our Redeemer. This piece is said to represent uh, godly power. The orb is to represent the world, and the cross above it is to represent Christ's dominion over the world. And this is something that we as Christians know to be true. Uh, God has full control or dominion over the whole world. And we on earth, including the new king, are just stewards or people who look after the world. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, uh, that which shall not be destroyed. So this also points us to the truth of the gospel. Jesus came to the whole earth to die on the cross for the sins of everyone. Just as on the orb, the cross is over the globe, Jesus came for all people over the whole world, and many people from all areas of the world have chosen to believe in him and to accept him in their lives. Now, the final piece I want to talk about um, is actually part of a a two-piece set. Um, So, can anyone tell me the specific name of this one? Oh, Sophie. Sophie, what's this? A crown? Yes, it is a crown. Specifically, this is St. Edward's crown. Did everyone know that? Now, I didn't know that before the start, before I did my research either. Uh, yeah, so this is St. Uh, Edward's crown. Um, it has a solid gold frame, uh, and it's set with rubies, amethyst, um, yeah, lots of precious stones. Um, and the crown is very uncomfortable to wear, as it weighs around two kilograms. And sort of put that into perspective for the boys and girls. That's like wearing a, a two-liter bottle of Coke on top of your head, trying to balance that. Um, so because it's very uncomfortable to wear and just how expensive it is, it's only ever used at the exact moment for crowning the king. And any time after that, you'll see the king wearing this crown. Yes, Dan. It is the Imperial State crowned. Round of applause for Dan, everybody. That's great knowledge. Yes. Um, yeah, so any time you'd seen the, the, the king after the actual crowning moment, he was wearing this crown. Uh, and even though it's still fancy um, uh, and it's covered in lots of jewels and gems and, as well, um, it's not as expensive and it's a lot more comfortable to wear. Um, so when the crown was placed um, on the head, uh, on his head, Charles was seen as the king, and some even bowed down before him and pledged that they would be aligned with him, and many people will serve him and do the things that he tells them to do. And this made me think of Jesus as our king. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, as the pastor has already said this morning, 
uh, Jesus is given the full title of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This title in, uh, indicated someone who has the power to exercise absolute dominion over all his realm. And for Jesus, this is all of creation. In the end, all other rulers, including new King Charles, will be forgotten. And he alone, that is Jesus, will reign supreme as King and Lord over all the earth. However, Jesus didn't need uh, these pieces of fancy gold, the precious stones, the pomp, circumstance, all the pageantry. Jesus humbled himself to come to this world for his earthly ministry. He was born in a stable. He socialised with the poor, the sick, um, those of society that would be despised. Uh, He was whipped and beaten by soldiers and he died on a cross for our sins. And yet he rose again and is now seated at the right hand of God in the most powerful position, much more powerful than any king or queen on this earth. So, just going back to remind ourselves. So the scepter, the sovereign scepter symbolizes the king's power and justice. And this reminds us of God's sovereign power over all creation. Uh, We deserved his justice for the sins we had committed but Jesus stood in our place. The sovereign orb symbolizes godly power over the world. And this reminds us that God has full control over the whole of creation and that Jesus came to save all people in the world. Um, and the crown symbolized that Charles is king. This reminds us that Jesus is king, the king of kings and the lord of lords, and yet he humbled himself to come to this world to save us from our sins. Now, I hope as the pictures and videos of the coronation are repeated on our TV screens or the newspapers or whatever, that you'll be reminded of how each object points to Jesus and that he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords over all the earth. Thank you. Well, let me say thank you to David for a very informative children's talk as well. I'm away to buy two pineapples um, to see what size this orb is. Um, but certainly many great lessons um, that we can point to the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, one and a half, David, just to get it right. There's the thumbs up. Uh, we're going to sing our hymn of the month just before we come to the word of God, his robes for mine. Um, this is a lovely piece. I heard it when I was in America and um, certainly some wonderful, wonderful words. David, I was wondering if you would bring up, if you can, verse 3 for me. I think it's verse 3. Um, let me see, that's the chorus. Okay, go on. Yes, but there, there's this verse here. It says, His robes for mine, God's justice is appeased. Jesus is crushed, and thus the Father's pleased. Christ drank God's wrath and sin. Then Christ has done, since wages paid, propitiation won. Propitiation is a great Bible word, maybe something that maybe at times we don't all understand. Propitiation simply means that Christ, when we put our trust in him, that our sins are completely forgiven and wiped away. But not only that, not only that, but that he then clothes us in his righteousness. I think that's a lovely thing. And then there's another word in this, actually, two slides back, I think it will be, um, just to explain. There's just two words. And there's this last line. It says, Faultless I stand with righteous works, not mine, saved by my Lord's vicarious death 
and life. Vicarious is another theological word, and it simply speaks about Christ being our substitute, that our sins were laid in him, and he died for me. And that's what that word means, that the Lord Jesus Christ, he took my place, and he bore God's wrath for me. So lovely theological words, but sometimes if you're singing them, it's good to know what you're singing and what it means, isn't it? And uh, that's just two words in this hymn that I thought are good words to draw out and to think about as we sing. We'll go back to the start and we'll just sing through and we'll stand together and sing after the introduction. Thank you. 
well, you were getting the hang of that the further in we got. And as we sing that through the month, I'm sure you'll get to know it better. But lovely words uh, to sing together and uh, really rich in doctrine and really rich in the scripture that we read and um, words we can enjoy and commit to memory as we sing it. We're turning to Philippians, please, in the chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're turning to the verse 10. We're in the home straight now as we are approaching Paul's real final thoughts in the book of Philippians. And today, uh, it's a lesson on being content, learning to be content. Sometimes we can be disgruntled, can't we, and discontent. But here, Paul is going to teach us a lesson on being content. Philippians chapter 4, please. And we'll just read from the verse 10. And we'll read through to the end of the chapter, but we won't be dealing with all these verses today. But really, these are Paul's closing thoughts now. And this is the word of the Lord, and we read, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in Whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Every, everywhere and in all things I am, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that I may abound to your account. But I have all, and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odour of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now on to God and our Father, and be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. We trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts today. The story is told that many years ago of a a, a very wealthy man. His name was Lord Condleton. Uh, He was a godly man who overheard some of his Christian servants remarking in the kitchen, Oh, if I only had five pounds, I would be perfectly content. Pondering her statement, he decided that he would see see someone who is perfectly content. So he went to the woman and he said, I overheard what you were saying in the kitchen and I wanted to do something about it. So he proceeded to reach into his pocket and lift out a five-pound note and gave it to her for which she thanked him very gratefully. And Condleton, he went out the door of the kitchen, and for a moment he paused at the door, unknown to her. And as soon as the woman thought he had gone, she began to say, 
Why on earth didn't he ask for 10 pounds? An aeroplane pilot was flying over Tennessee's mountains in the United States of America and pointed out a lake to his co-pilot. See that little lake, he said. When I was a child, I used to sit in a rowing boat down there fishing. And every time a plane would fly overhead, I would look up and I wish I would wish that I was flying it. He went on, he says, well, now I look down and I wish I was in the rowing boat fishing. Contentment can be an elusive pursuit. We go after what we think will make us happy, only to find that it didn't work. In fact, maybe often that we were happier before we started the quest for contentment. And the lack of contentment is marked and seen in our country in many different ways. We see it in the debt that people accumulate. We aren't content to live within our means. So we go into debt to better and to get things that are better, things that we can't afford. And then we suffer anxiety from the pressure of paying off bills. Our discontentment is reflected in the high rate of mobility. People are constantly moving in our world, constantly wanting to get the bigger house, constantly wanting to move up. And there's a lot of people moving around, never content with where they already have. Many people want a new job with better prospects. They, they say, that will make me content. You know, in his book, Simple Faith, Charles Swindle cites a poem which expresses the discontent that we can really see right around us across our world. This is what the poem reads. Says this, it was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days, the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was autumn I wanted, the colourful leaves, the cool dry air. It was autumn, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the Christmas season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life is over. But I never got what I wanted. I wonder, does that poem describe you and I? Always searching for contentment, but never finding it. Always unhappy in the quest, and affecting others around us with gloom and dreariness along the way. Yet how is it that a man sat in prison, imprisoned facing possible persecution, can say in verse 11, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Paul's personal references in the verses that we have read this t- today indicate that Paul was not a victim of his circumstances, but he was victorious over his circumstances. For he says in verse 11, I accept all things. He says in verse 13, I can do all things. He says in verse 18, I have all things. Paul did not have to be pampered to be content. Rather, he found his contentment in the spiritual resources he found in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now what we want to do firstly is we want to think of a definition of what this biblical word content means that Paul's speaking. Let's quickly define it and so that we know what we're talking about today. Well let me tell you what contentment is and contentment is not complacency. Nor is it false pe- a false peace based in ignorance. The complacent believer is unconcerned about others while the contented Christian wants to share their blessing with others. Sometimes I hear people when they think of these verses saying, well, Paul tells us that we're to be content in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in and they apply it to their spiritual condition. I am what I am. I try my best. I can't do any more. I've made a few mistakes in my time. But here I am and I'm content with what I am as a Christian. I'm not going to get too uptight about how spiritual I am. That's not what this is talking about. That's not what Paul is talking about. His contentment was certainly not in complacency in how he was living. Contentment also is not escaping from the battles in life. But rather it's an an abiding peace and confidence In the midst of the battle, I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. The word learned in verse 11, it means learned by experience. Paul's spiritual contentment was not something that he had immediately after he was saved. No, but rather bit by bit, test by test, circumstance by circumstance, through the difficult experiences that Paul had in his life, he learned to be Content. And the word content means to be contained. It's a description of a man whose resources are within him so that he doesn't need to depend on anything without. The Greek word means self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. And it was a favourite word used by pagan philosophers in Paul's day who taught that you could be self-sufficient, you could look after yourself. But the Christian is not self-sufficient. The Christian relies on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is sufficient in Christ. And that's what this contentment we're talking about is. In the New Testament, this word, when it's used, it means satisfied, adequate, competent or sufficient it's used in second corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 my grace is sufficient my grace will make you content my grace is sufficient for thee charles kelly defines it like this he says christian contentment is the god-given ability to be satisfied with the loving provision of god in any and every situation the bible has quite a bit to say about being content. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. And then in verse 8 of chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, and having food and clothing, let us be content. The writer of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, wrote these words, be content with whatever you have, for he said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. The Bible not only identifies contentment as a virtue or something that we enjoy in our salvation, but listen to this, it's so important because in each of those verses we read it said, be content, be content. It's a verb, it's a command. You are to be content with whatever you have. You're to be content with your food and clothing. You're to be content with your wages. You're to be content because you understand that an utterly and totally and infinitely and supernaturally resourceful God will never leave you. 
nor forsake you. Contentment, yes, is something we enjoy as Christians, but it's also a command. Now, you've got to remember that the man who is writing this, and I can't emphasize this enough, Paul, when he's writing this, he is a prisoner. He's chained to a Roman soldier. He's imprisoned in some probably small apartment in the city of Rome. He's in isolation. He's unable to move about. He's lost his freedom to work. He's lost his freedom to minister the gospel at a capacity that he once had. He's therefore in much need. And he's afflicted with the difficulty of being a captive. And and in the midst of this, the need, the Philippians have heard about it and they've gone to meet his necessities. This is no doubt, in my mind, one of the saddest moments in Paul's life up to this point. Because he was chained to a soldier, unable to be in touch with so many of his friends and so many of the churches that he had planted. And many were unable to find him where he was. And he was anticipating a trial with Nero, which would result possibly in his execution. And these comments of being content were made at a very difficult time when Paul might well have been round the corner any day from his death. F.B. Meyer wrote this. Paul was deprived of every comfort and cast as a lonely man on the shores of the great strange metropolis with every moment of his hand clanking a fetter and nothing before him but the lion's mouth or the sword. And yet Paul says, I've learned to be content. Now, just before we come to our three points, I want you to note verse 10. Verse 10, we learn that for 10 years we're led to believe that the Philippian church had been unable to send material resources to aid uh, Paul. And in verse 10 he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care for me have flourished again. And they were now able to give him some financial resources, but for 10 years they had been unable to do so. And Paul tells us very clearly, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. In other words, it wasn't because the Philippian church didn't care about Paul, but they had lacked opportunity to help Paul. But Paul is very careful to tell them it's not that he needed it. Paul is rejoicing now that they've given and they've used their God-given opportunity. But Paul makes it very clear that all of his help came from the Lord in many miraculous ways. And it's important to understand where Paul is coming from here. As this gift comes, he's so grateful, but he says, my contentment doesn't come from this financial support that you've given me. Given me. If it hadn't come, I still would have been content in what the Lord had given to me. How did Paul learn to be content? What is the secret to contentment? Well, firstly, I note from these verses, Paul had a confidence in God's plan in all circumstances. He says in verse 10, really, he's saying, you were concerned. And the the implication there is that I know you were concerned about me, Philippian church, and I don't want you to misunderstand me. I, I know that you've given on your opportunity, and you may be saying to me, Peter, what's the point here? Well, the point is the Apostle Paul says, thank you for your gift. But I had great confidence in God's sovereign providence right throughout my life. So a contented person is a person who is still and stable and confident in the providential dealings of God. God's providence, meaning how God leads, how God plans, how God guides, and how God protects his children. 
Paul knew all was in God's hands. And if God gave a proper season and a proper time and a proper opportunity, those things would be that should be expressed would be expressed to Paul, that those things which he should have would be given to Paul through God's faithful provision. He was certain that God in due time would order all circumstances so that his needs would be met even when he was in want, he believed that. And he just waited patiently until the Lord made it happen and he was content with that. And here's the lesson for you and I, dear brothers and sisters. The reason this man was content because he knew that his times and seasons and opportunities were controlled by a sovereign God. And until you and I learn that, we will never be content. Until we come to a place in our life when we understand that God is sovereign and is ordering everything according to his own holy purposes and is working all things after the counsel of his own will and is making all things work together for good, until you understand that, you'll always be discontent because you'll take on the responsibility for yourself to organize and order your own life and you'll frustrate yourself. Hand control over to the sovereign God today and rest secure in his plan. So often we sing with the the children, let the Lord have his way. In your life every day, there's no rest, there's no peace until the Lord has his way. Place your life in his hands. Rest secure in his plans. Having confidence in God, that's what that wee line is. Let the Lord, let the Lord have his way. Paul had a confidence in God's plan in all circumstances. But he also was satisfied, he was satisfied with little and he was satisfied with much. You know, there's a wee hymn that I only heard of three years ago. It's a very old hymn. Many of you all know it. It says this, I'm satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver and a little gold. But in that city where the ransomed will shine, I have a gold one that's silver lined. The second verse says, don't think me poor. Or deserted or lonely. I'm not discouraged. I'm heaven bound. I'm but a pilgrim in search of the city. I want a mansion, a harp and a crown. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. In that bright land where we'll never grow old. And someday yonder we will never more wander. But walk the streets of purest gold. Verse 11. For I have learned. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. And here's what he says. I know both how to be abased, have nothing. And I know how to abound when I have plenty of things. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul says when things are great, when I stayed with Lydia, and that lovely mansion, and I had everything that I needed. But then, when I, that that night that it had nothing, and he maybe was in the well, he's in the prison cell now. He's knowing what it is to have plenty and to have his needs supplied, but he's also knowing what it is to have nothing and not know where the next meal's coming from. And yet Paul still was a contented person. And Paul is saying from his own experience that a person isn't satisfied by having little in life or much in life because he's had both. And it boils down to two things. He was satisfied in his circumstances. And secondly, he was satisfied in whatever supplies and resources he had in those circumstances. 
And let's consider these. He says, I have learned in whatever state, some translation, translations say, whatever circumstances I am in, I have learned to be content. I have learned, do you see this? This is something of Paul's will. He was, it wasn't something that he sat down one Sunday morning and listened to the preacher and said, you need to be content. And then you walked away and says, well, I'm content now. But it was found and learned in the school of life. Paul learnt it in Jerusalem by the things that he suffered that the Lord had told him he would suffer. He learnt it in Arabia in those years seeking God's face and having those revelations and the mysteries that are now revealed here in the New Testament for us. He learnt it in Lystra and Antioch and Ephesus where he was persecuted And now he's in prison in Rome and he's still learning through his circumstances to be content. In every situation, says the Apostle Paul, whatever my circumstances are, I am content. And when he healed enthusiastically upon his return to the churches he had planted, he was content. When When he was chained to an unsympathetic Roman soldier, Paul was content. When he was preaching to scholars in, in, in the intellectual capital of the world, Paul was content. When he was leading a runaway, when he was leading as a runaway slave of Christ, he was content. When he was preaching to a king, King Agrippa, Paul was content. When he was writing a theological masterpiece as he wrote Philippians and many of her things, Paul was content. He was waiting to appear before court that were going to sentence him to death, and yet still Paul was content in whatever circumstances, truly Paul can say that. Whatever circumstances, I am content. He learned to live in complete detachment from his circumstances. And since his circumstances were all ordered by the Lord, as we've discussed, he says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am in to be content. Whatever the circumstances, but secondly, whatever his resources, whether his resources were abating or abounding, Whatever they had, he rejoiced and he was content. And the reason why material things can never make a man content is because he's never going to get enough of them to satisfy because once he has what he thought he needed, he'll want more. John Rockefeller, the great multimillionaire, was asked how much money would be enough to him. He thought for a moment and he says, just a little more than I have just now. Isn't that it? Just a little more than I already have. And the world's wealthiest man at that time was able to say, I, have, I, I don't have enough to be satisfied. Now here's the crux of the matter. What Paul has been leading up to, talking about these circumstances and supplies, he's saying, I want, he says, if you want to be a man or a woman who is happy, don't look at your possessions, don't look at your circumstances, don't look at uh, the things that you desire, because none of those things are going to make you content. Contentment means that whatever we do, we, 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 whatever we do, that we find that our needs are met in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is teaching here. It's not an economic quality that if the more money I have, the more things I have, or if things were going a little easier in life, I would be content. That's not what Paul is teaching here. You know, in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians and verse 17, he says that our afflictions are momentary. He says, for our momentary light affliction, it's producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. 
Paul couldn't fail to be content because he knew that our temporary affliction would lead to a day when all things, when we are in eternity, there'll be an eternal glory that's beyond all comparison of the circumstances you find yourself in now. Confidence in God's plan. Paul said, I'm resting secure in your plan, Lord. Therefore, I am content. Paul said, I'm satisfied whether I have little or much because the Lord is providing for me. But then, finally, there's the source of contentment. We've been thinking about the pursuit of joy. And really, truly, we've had the answer all along throughout the book. Christian contentment is grounded in our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our relationship with the Lord Jesus that establishes the basis of Christian contentment. In other words, Philippians 3 verse 10 precedes Philippians 4 verse 13. Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 10, I want to know Christ. And in verse 4 verse, chapter 4 verse 13 he says, I can do everything through Christ. But note that he says, verse 3, chapter 3 verse 10 first, I want to know Christ and in knowing him then I will be able to do everything through him. We, we live in such a pragmatic environment as we, today that you talk about things in Christian doctrine or you give people instruction, information, and people say, well, what do you need to do? You know, you tell me what we'll do, I'll do, and I'll be content. It's not not necessarily really what we do. You know, you're talk, I've been, you've been talking and preaching in this for a long time, Peter. I'm in pursuit of joy. That's what you've entitled the whole series. You're talking about learning to be content today. How can I actually be content? What am I supposed to do? It's not the doing that's highlighted in Philippians. No, it's the knowing the Lord Jesus Christ which makes it possible to do all things. It's the knowing Christ that is the main thing. It's getting to know him more and more each day. More and more about Jesus. Tell me more about Jesus. That is the point. That is the theme of Philippians. And Paul, you can see it right throughout. If you just take a moment, chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ. There's the highlight. And if I'm living as uh, for Christ, then I will do things for Christ. Chapter 2, and I'll be content. Chapter 2, what's he saying? In humility, we need to have the mind of Christ. Paul is saying it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. Chapter 3, what's he saying? That I might know Christ, that I might fellowship in his sufferings, that I might be conformed to him in his death, that I might win Christ, that I might be found in Christ. That is what the theme is. What is the pursuit of joy? Are you pursuing joy? Are you pursuing contentment? Get to know Christ more each day. Now he says in this chapter in verse 13, how can I live in contentment? I can do all things. Now, this is important. It can also be translated like this. I can do anything God asks me to do and be anywhere God wants me to be through Christ who strengthens me. Now that's an important thing because many people take this verse completely out of context and say I can do all things no matter what I do, Christ will be with me. That's not the point. I can do what God asks me to do and be anywhere God wants me to be through Christ who strengthens me. Christ is the source and supply of contentment. Listen to what Jeremiah Burroughs says in his book. Contentment is realising that God has already provided everything we need for our greatest happiness. Did you get that? Jeremiah Burroughs, contentment is realising that God has already provided everything we need for our greatest happiness. 
It's all there. Where? In Christ. Yet many of God's children have not learned the secret of contentment. They haven't learned what the Lord Jesus said. Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. That's what Christ said. Why am I so discontented? Well, I need to know Christ. And I need to get to know him more and how wonderful he is. And if I really believe he is my all in all, and if he is more precious than silver, and more costly than gold, and more beautiful than diamonds, and nothing else that I have compares to him, you'll see and you'll start to really know what it means. Where Paul was saying, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances, in whatever resources I have. We could just add and say that Christian contentment is the fruit of an ever-deepening relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. How's your walk today, dear child of God? Are you in a deeper relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ this Lord's Day in comparison to the last Lord's Day? In comparison to this time last year? Have you grown deeper in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? This is what contentment is about. The more I know Christ, the more content then I become and the more things of earth lose their value and whether my name's in the office door uh, on the managing director's door or, or it's not, it won't matter anymore. When we know Christ, then I won't have to go and bury myself in dis- disappointment because I didn't get that promotion that I felt I should have got and the other person got it because Christ is my contentment. And when Christians, when we, when we run after all those futile things, uh, we don't, we don't deepen our relationship with Christ and we don't have that ever deepening dimension. That's not to say that getting promotion is a bad thing. Of course it's fine. But the point is, does it matter more than my ever deepening Relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the only place of contentment. Christian contentment, learning to be content, it's learned. And it's learned as we place our trust in God's perfect plan and his providence in our lives, a confidence in God's plan. It's found as we learn to be satisfied with our circumstances and belongings, whether good or bad. Listen We're listening to Paul here. Don't you put me in a pedestal and think I have all this together, because I don't. But here's a man, Paul, and we're listening to him say, from the prison cell on death row, he says, I've learned to be content, and even on death row, I'm still content. Why? Because he had an ever-deepening relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We must learn that the source of contentment is only found in the Lord Jesus. The pursuit of joy, dear Christian, put worldly things away. I want to know Christ. I want to know him more deeply than the things of earth. And when I know Christ more deeply, the things of earth will begin to fade away. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We're going to sing together. I have a shepherd.
one I love so well, how he has blessed me, tongue can never tell. On the cross he suffered, shed his blood and died, that I might ever in his love confide. Following Jesus ever day by day, nothing can harm me. When Jesus leads the way, listen, here's the circumstances, darkness or sunshine, whatever befall, Jesus the shepherd is my all in all. There's contentment. Jesus the shepherd is my all in all. We'll sing the first and the last verse of this particular hymn. Stand and sing. Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts today. And Father, we realize that these are difficult truths to put into practice because so often we allow our circumstances and we allow our resources to worry and concern us. And yet, Father, we see from your word today that in all circumstances we can be content. We pray that those words that we've been singing, that we would really put them into practice in our lives. Darkness or sunshine, whate'er befall, Jesus, the shepherd, is my all and all. Help us not just to sing the words, Lord. Help us to apply it to our lives as we go out into another week. Father, draw us closer to our Saviour. May we have an ever-deepening relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that the things of this earth truly will fade away. 
Father, be with those who must leave us just now. Take them each to their homes in safety. For those of us who remain behind for the table, we ask that you would bless us. And we ask that it would be a sweet time as we think back to our Saviour. And Father, as we think of how you have saved our souls. Bless us now, we pray. And we ask this in our Saviour's name. Amen.